Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 17. I'm your host, Michael Citro. This week, I'm extremely excited to bring you my interview with Dennis D. Young, the founder and former frontman for the legendary rock band Styx. We all know the songs, we all know the hits, we love them. Styx is a great band, and Dennis is a huge part of why that band was so successful. And that band is still going on, but it's been going on for quite some time without Dennis. Dennis has been a solo artist for quite some time, and he just finished his recording career. He's calling it quits, and he leaves us with 26 East Volume 2. Volume 1, of course, came out last year in 2020, and now he leaves us with a fantastic collection of songs on Volume 2. Dennis was kind enough to spend some time with me talking about the making of the record, the musicians who are on it, the songs and the thoughts behind them. But of course, Dennis is a force of nature, as you will hear on this interview. And the conversation went literally everywhere. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed talking to Dennis. In fact, I was so excited to get to the interview, I didn't even introduce him on the video version of this interview. So I'm introducing him now <laughs> here on the podcast version. Here's my interview with Dennis DeYoung. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. All right. Uh, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. Uh, this is a show that basically just celebrate music. And you've got a new album out, uh, 26 East Volume 2. And I want to definitely get into that a bit. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about, I know, of course, everybody says seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show um, changed their life kind of thing. Uh, you, you've been on record with that. But what I want to ask you is when you were young, like what were your first favorite records? I'm old. So you're not, they're not rock records because when I started listening to music, you know, uh, uh, with the 78s that my parents had, rock and roll wasn't even invented yet. So, uh, so uh, anything I would, I would mention to you would go, what? Um, it's stuff from the hit parade that was very popular in the fifties and, um, little Jimmy Brown, dun, da, 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 da. it's all, you know, Johnny Ray, if he sweet you know, you know that song by Johnny Ray? Uh, I know a little Johnny Ray, but that that one's not ringing a bell right now. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. my neighbor, who was 11, I was six, seven, he played accordion. He'd come over and play in the kitchen. We had, you know, a very small house. And my mom's eyes would light up. She's Italian. It's in their blood, that, that accordion. So uh, I, you know, you're, when you're a kid, you, kids, they, they want to be loved more. They want to be approved of just like you, you sitting right there. Which one didn't give you the love that you thought you deserve your mom or your dad? One of them was withholding it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all trying to get that love and approval from them. That's the truth. So, and those of us who aspire, we, you know, we have a bigger hole to fill. That's why we wave our arms and go, hey, look at us. We're important over here. Hey, look at over here. I'm smart. I'm good. So, you know, that's that's how it starts. So I, I started playing accordion. 54. That's before. I mean, when when it was uh, Rocket 88, 54, 55. They think that's the first rock record. I mean, is it? Who knows? So uh, I'm before rock and roll music. So I was playing accordion. So what was your first rock record that you owned? Or do you remember that first song that really grabbed you? How much is that doggy in the wind? No, it would have been, it's over there on the wall. 
It's a it's a framed uh, record of Great Balls of Fire on the Sun label, signed by Jerry Lee. Nice. So um, that was the first single I bought. But then I I, I think the next one might have been Oh Venus, Oh Venus. Kind of could have been Frankie Avalon. Could have been the Purple Pe- People Eater. I don't really remember. <laughs> you know, my my sister and I we both bought singles then and put them on the little thing where it's this big and the lid comes up and you have to put the quarter right. and the stylus because it, it will keep the, keep the thing from uh yeah so um i think great balls was the first single i bought and uh but i you know you you couldn't be exposed you're 20 years behind me so you don't know none of this because it's people in that infant stage who heard this music um they have a different experience so i come from music before uh, before rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So that's why my musical tastes are so expansive and not so narrow. Now you're a music lover and you know, I got those shelves behind you waiting to collapse on you, kill you when you're not looking. <laughs> yep. um, so I don't have a great deal of respect or patience for people who only like one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I don't have to respect you. I mean, know that you like what you like, Two kinds of music, kind you like, kind you don't. That's the end of the story. Is anything more subjective? No. Um, but really, music is just too big and beautiful to be trapped staring at its toe or its kneecap. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, it's a huge thing where you could you, you could just dive in and receive joy in return that cannot be achieved by any other art form in the world. Kids, music is the greatest because it connects us immediately to the soul of humanity. And it does it through the auditory canal. No one knows why. It goes into your brain and you're dead. I dare you to go watch your favorite movie a hundred times. You're not gonna do that. But, yeah. You know, you're not going to watch, you know, read your book, favorite book, a hundred times. And, uh, what, what? Go, go to the Louvre and, and stare at the Mona Lisa for a month. Nobody says that the bra's not that good looking. Forget it. It ain't going to happen, Michael. Wake up. It's music. It's magic. Nobody knows how it happens. Nobody knows how it works. I'm part of it, and really, because my neighbor played accordion, and I saw my mom. She really loved it. And I thought, well, I can do that. And I started playing accordion. And it wasn't, you know, the band was formed in my basement, uh, the Nucleus of Sticks in 1962 mm-hmm. by the and me. They lived right across the street from me. They were twin brothers, fraternal. And um, it's two years before I saw the Beatles. So we were playing standards, our parents' music, to make our parents happy. The Panazzo brothers, mom and dad, they were so proud, you know, the three boys. Oh, they're so cute. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then we saw the Beatles. That was it. Epiphany. Off to the races, boys. Did you all see it at the same time? Were you all in the same place or were you at home with your families huddled around the TV? Yes. I was about ready to go to the Sunday night dance to pick up chicks, if you <laughs> catch my trip. And my best friend, Dave, he had bought the boots. And he had the single, I Want to Hold Your Hand. So there we are. I said, Dave, I don't like I, don't like, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. 
heard it on the radio. Eh, still don't like it. It's okay. I didn't know it was going to be, you know, she loves you and all my loving. And I saw her standing there. Any one of those threes would have had me, but uh, not I want to hold your hand. That's okay. So, watching the TV with my friends about to go to the dance with our suits and ties on. It was that era. Real cream, a little dabble, do you? Right. So, and then you close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Goodbye, Dennis. That was it for you. You're a goner. You, <laughs> I just went, what? And you can't explain it to guys like you. You can't. I've tried. I mean, there was a collective culture in 1964. It wasn't filled with a niche or a genre. It wasn't so narrow-minded as it has become. You've become your own. We have now had become our own DJs, creators of playlists, and you know it's a, it's it's a, it's like homework. It's tedious. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, at the risk of sounding like a, a an old person who says, "Well, I remember when it was fun." <laughs> I don't care. I'm an old person. I'm going to tell you it was, and you haven't got anything better. Or you're exposed to all kinds of music. Good for you. Yeah, I, nice. hear, I hear what you're saying about you know, trying to explain to me what it was like to grow oh. up seeing the Beatles. It's like when I try to explain to, to a much younger person what FM radio once was as opposed to what it is now. There's no comparison. What radio? Exactly. It's pathetic. Now, in, you know, in other words, at the risk of sounding like Dean Martin, the first time he started Rolling Stones, I'll try to sound reasonable. Look. Every generation gets the pop music they deserve. That's <laughs> what I think. So um, back in its infancy, even before me and Sticks, people were mining the gold from this newly discovered musical form called rock and roll. We know the history, was it the blues guys and the hillbillies and the guys over there and the gospel people, they all, mostly in the South, they colliding, mm -hmm. pops out. Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Elvis, Terry Lee, Carl Perkins. I mean, you know, you can go right on down the line. You could say, dun, 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 Bo Diddley, all those people, they created something. And so, all of us were fooling with it. It was brand new. We're going, oh, what about, right? What if we, so it was, it was, it was, it was spectacular. Now, 70 years, 80 years down the road, people have kicked those three or four chords in the belly, in the ass, punched it in the snout, you know, did it in marinara sauce. Hey, let's try another, let's put a brujol next to it. They've done everything with it. And it's getting, you know, it's, it's, it's close to everything being a cliche. I'm sorry, if one more mook breaks their guitar on stage, I might just have a stroke. I'm tired, I'm sick of it. Do your homework, Google Pete Townsend. Okay, and then check the date, 65, 66. Good grief. And then when somebody, it's like a fog machine. Every time somebody uses a fog machine, the crowd goes, ooh, Hey, he broke his guitar. 
what an asshole. I gotta buy another one. <laughs> this is my point of view. Uh, yeah. You've gone down the, you see what I'm getting at here, Michael? Yep. Yeah. So what do you expect from people now that we've kicked that dog? I'm sorry, Peter. Terrible thing to say. I don't kick my dog. Um, it died from kicking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 17 years old. It, eight, no, it was 18 years old. A Maltese of 18. Anyway, last year. So that's another sad story. But you see what I'm saying? Are sure. we trying to resurrect uh, the sleeping dog? I don't know. But what are people to do? There are only so many ideas. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the contest for me in making this 26 East volume one and two was, and it's pleased. You know, the concept was simple. Don't suck. This is the concept album. Don't, you know, and, and, and you got to write songs. And that's the key to everything. So I didn't want to be a cliche of my own making. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead. Your turn. What was, I talk what, was the last, what was the last record you listened to? Let's, let's move it forward. And what was the last one that you, you listened start to finish? Rubber Soul. Okay. How last long ago night. was that? Last night. I was walking. You know, when I walk, mm -hmm. people music on it you know you don't you know this mike you're not going jesus how long have i been doing this 30 seconds <laughs> it was longer um yeah i put on rubber soul i put it, the since the cootie i'm in my i have a, i walk in my house mm -hmm. the long house so I don't, I don't even go outside because it's a little hilly by my house who needs it so um I put on music, all kinds of albums, some, that I, some albums that I've never listened to because the critics say, oh, this is, this is the thing. And I listen, I go, what, really? Uh, this is just me. So I put on Rubber Soul, but I had to find a capital Rubber Soul. Okay. Not the one released in England because they're different songs and they're different order. Yeah. They give me heartburn. I got to hear them in the order. You know how this is, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you have a very particular... You know, one thing is right and the other thing is not right. And Rubber Soul is way better than I remembered it. All the way I remembered it very fondly. I remember the first time I heard Rubber Soul, I went, what have they done? Is that an acoustic guitar? Um, but it was goodbye, Beatlemania, Hello, the Future. Mm -hmm. But Are I you a vinyl smart, guy? I wasn't smart enough the first two times I listened. Because they went, eat, eat. And I was going, what about... Hard days that where's Beetleman? So um yeah, and then I went, oh my God. I'm looking through you. I love them. and all those songs and I haven't thought about in a while. I've just played them and I'm walking, you know, I'm doing, I'm smiling. Because a couple of days before I I tried to I put on um what's that album? Blah 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 and Nico, Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground, which yeah. Critics love. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you stand on this. Personally, I'm 74. I don't care. Um, people have made up their mind about me. Mike, if they don't like you, fuck them. <laughs> I rarely swear anymore, but I'm to the point where I go, I don't care. I'm going to tell you what I think. Yeah. That's to be praised. I listened this is the 10th time I've listened to that album. And I go, the lyrics are banal. The music is like from amateurs. It's awful on any possible well, people could like it you know um people like to be beaten when they're having sex i don't understand that either so i mean <laughs> i'm not about to tell people what they're supposed to like but i don't like it mm -hmm. and i try to understand it because there's some music that i 
don't like, but I completely understand. There's yeah. a difference. Right. Where you go, oh, I get that. I know why people would like that. Mm-hmm. But that's incomprehensible. So I'm, I'm putting these albums on and I'm walking, I'm walking. So to answer your question with a 20 minute answer, it's rubber soul. Okay. Uh, are you, do you consider yourself a vinyl guy still, or do you listen to CDs, cassettes, digital? What do you listen to? Well, I was, I was a CD guy, but the world moves on kids. It doesn't care. Here's what I would say. The world has made a choice. Did they want quality or convenience when it came to music? They chose convenience. Can I listen to this on my phone while I'm taking a leak? This is the decision people made. It used to be music, you'd hear it in your car, or you would sit down and take time to listen to something. But now, with the, the ubiquitous nature of devices, you can listen to it anywhere at any time. I mean, almost all of music's recorded history. <laughs> My mom, I can't even, I can't even understand it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll, I'll put on, I'll put on YouTube which is really improving and put on my iPad and put my headsets on, which are really they're studio headsets and I'll listen. Um, but really when I was walking, I just had my iPad laying on the countertop walking around because I'm not in, I'm not at the point I'm not judging the engineer and the mixer. I'm just judging the songs, but in the, you know, it's the basic thing because let's face it. When it went from the 50s to 60s to the 70s, in the 70s, everyone started getting gear. Where's the Marantz tuner? Remember the Marantz tuner? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then you got your little speakers, whatever you like, whatever you could afford. And you put the vinyl on and you, and steep. And you listened because it developed into a listening experience. But when I started, when I fell in love with music, it was mono, one earpiece in my ear with a transistor radio hidden under the pillow. So my parents didn't know I was listening to music when I was supposed to be in bed. So if I could get enjoyment and and a thrill out of that crap, I'm not not an elitist to say to people, you can't enjoy music unless you hear its full fidelity. People have decided that they can. I mean, if you listen to the old old phonographs on the 78s, people found great joy in music, even with with that kind of quality. So I'm not going to say, oh, my God, unless I believe... It's best when heard as close to the creator's ideas as possible. That gives you the true experience of what they were shooting for. But it doesn't matter. Uh, once again, I'm not an elitist to tell you, you know, how you should get your enjoyment and pleasure. Sure. Dennis, let's get into this. This uh... One more thing. I didn't ask you a question. Vinyl? Who yeah. Gives, who gives this shit? <laughs> What's wrong with you people? You remember how... You... There's the first you put to play the album on the very first time of the 45. That's the best it's ever going to sound. It's never going to sound that good again. Yeah. It's a deteriorate, deteriorate. What's the word? Deteriorating. deteriorating. Yep. Constantly. Yeah. Um, Especially if you have to put a penny on the uh, stylus or a quarter, if it's a really. Quarter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, vinyl is just, you know what it is? It's like the same people who love old cars. Yeah, they're great to look at, and then you have to drive them. This is the point with vinyl. Um, the great thing about vinyl is, I just had this idea the other day. Tell me if you like it. When you get a download or a stream, 
Jesus, are we lazy? Uh, if we get a stream, I think you'd sell a lot more if suddenly you could push the button, poof, you could smell vinyl coming out of the screen of your device. So you go, oh yeah. <laughs> but that's only for old people. But vinyl, kids, you know what's good about vinyl? The album covers. Oh man. Become part of what's going on here. Jump in both feet. Don't right. be like this. You got a stream, you got a picture, yeah, I like it, they don't like it. Delete, play, but this is what's wrong. Look at that, those things behind you. There's there are there are albums up there in your collection that you just played once and hated or didn't like. But you never threw it away, did you? You never threw an album away, even if you no. didn't like it. Why? I've always gone back and revisited things because you change as you get older. You want to, no. you want to, oh, that's, no. that's my experience. No, because it's a real thing and you can't bring yourself to do it. <laughs> well, I, mean, that's I think it. that's. No, 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 it's not intellectual. <coughs> I bought this, I paid for it. I'm not throwing it away. Yeah. And, uh, a download, you got to this. Because you know you can get it back. Oh, the album way. Where's Kmart? Where's uh, EJ Corbett's? Where's the record store? Got to go back. See? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good point. I th I think there are there is certain amount of hoarding when it comes to music uh, collecting, uh, for sure. But I'm glad you brought up the Beatles. Talk we talked about the Beatles a lot because this this new album, Twenty Six East Volume Two, starts out with, uh, in my notes, I wrote a love letter to the Beatles. We bought tickets to ride down the strawberry fields on a magical bus when Tell me about this uh, hello, hello, goodbye. I don't think I can say it any better than you just did. It's what it is. Do you keep track uh, of, uh, did you keep track of how many specific Beatles references were lyrically and musically in this song? No, I, I just do stuff. <laughs> and I know really, I, I don't, I just do stuff. And then it's, it's up to people, other people to figure that out. I was, um, I was bounded in, that song was written for volume one. This is, it was divided into two volumes only mm -hmm. because between my songs and Jim Peterick and I, we wrote like 18 songs to begin with. And the record company then said, we, we want, we, we want all of them. And I said, you can't have all of them. Pick the ones you like, for God's sakes. I want to make one record and leave me alone. And they said, no, we'll take them. And then they said, there's extra lira involved. And I went, what's an Italian company? I said, ah, I'm not, a math I'm not a math major, but if you say it, you're going to double the guarantee. I thought, well, I recorded them. You can have them. That's how it got divided. But Hello Goodbye was supposed to be the first song because 26, here's the tying thing. Here's the ribbon. 26 East, my address, my basement, my parents' home where the band was founded, the nucleus. That's right. where it began. Here's where it ends. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> and then it became two. So then I took Hello Goodbye and I put it on the second volume. 
And uh, God, I love the song. I know, you know, I don't love every song on the record. I think they're all good, but I love Hello Goodbye because it's the Beatles, man. And I got it right. It's, you know, you, you, can you imagine the margin of error fooling with this stuff? It's yeah, it can get campy really fast if you don't do it right. I did it right. I defy anyone to say I didn't because everybody I played it for, lots of people before I released, uh, I didn't trip up. I didn't screw myself because the lyrics are so honest and open about what they meant to me and millions, billions probably of people. And I took their song titles and I weaved them into a story. So, and the paraphrasing of their musical styles, which I did, that was the part that was most judicious apart, about, right? It's like, okay, you're gonna go right up to it, but don't go over the line. Mm -hmm. I, it worked. And fundamentally, because the song as written, change the lyrics if you want, arrange it in a way that doesn't make, immediately make you go, Beatles. Um, it's not a bad tune. <laughs> it stands <laughs> as a tune, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I I would say from the, the two albums, this one grabbed me the fastest and I think I like it the most off of the two volumes because you can feel your, your emotion that you put into that song to get it right. You can feel that coming back out of it when you listen to it. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Uh, Land of the Living is the second track. It, it kind of strikes me as a good anthem for coming out of the pandemic. It sounds like you got, you're still kind of staying in your bubble a little bit, but it, it now that we're getting out in the world and, and there's live shows again, and I'm, I'm getting out more, this strikes me as a, is the perfect song for coming out of the pandemic or, or at least, you know, things starting to open up and get a little better with the, with the vaccines and everything. There's a seismic shift, a powerful lift in the atmosphere And the whole world rocks sending after shots whenever you're near I wasn't living, just existing Till the moment I saw your face Over three intention. years ago, and Jim Peter was, you know, trying to convince me to make this last record, <clears throat> and I didn't want to. He sent me the bones of that song three and a half years ago, and I said, "Okay, Jim, let's see if we can finish this song." And so we wrote, we finished it together, but it was written before pandemic. Mm. And then, uh, as I held it from the first album because it was finished and was going on in the second, I thought, I called up Jim, I said, Jim, Land of the Living, are you shitting me? It's good to be back in the land. I thought, huh, well, should we change the lyric? 
to make it more pandemic centric, you know, to really say without, without saying the word cootie 19. And, and he says, yeah, let's do it. And then I stepped back and I looked at, I'd written four, three songs that were specifically about it this past year. And I thought, well, let's not beat this horse to death. Land of the living, you know, since people don't really pay attention completely to the lyrics anyway, all they're going to remember, it's good to be back in the land of the living. It was really a song about our wives mm-hmm. collectively, both married a long time, you know, about that moment when love can bring you back mm-hmm. from whatever depths you've sunk to by the relationship you can have with another person. I left it alone, but we recorded that two and a half years ago. It was recorded then too. Brings up a, a good- Hey, hey, it's catchy. It is catchy. <laughs> it, it brings up a good po- uh, a good question. Uh, you know, I, I read the Goldmine interview where you talked about the song, I'm Okay, and how you weren't okay at that time. And I kind of wanted to ask you how you are doing. I mean, I mean, obviously none of us are doing as great as we would like to be, you know, in this time, but how are you doing these days? Look at, I got arthritis in my neck. If you want to know the truth from playing accordion, playing piano, you know, where they say, you know, beyond that, when you get to, to this age and that's your, you know, it, it isn't fun, but, um, so many people that I love have died during this pandemic and most of them, not, not because of COVID and everywhere I look, people tell me the same stories. You have the story too. You can't believe the people who have been affected in the last year and a half because forget, forget COVID for a minute. It's the overwhelming sense of loss of control that humanity is facing and has faced which will invade the bubble, the illusion of your own life that you've created for yourself to protect us from the simple fact that we all know we're going to die even without the COVID. See, I try to give human beings a break because really they're jack wagons too much of the time. Human beings are just, you know, what a piece of work they are. Mm-hmm. Because unlike your dog, you know, people, oh, I love my dog. It's the best. It gives me kissing, and hugging and the companionship. Yeah because it doesn't know it's going to die. You'd think dogs would be as happy? It's probably be looking over their shoulder a lot more, constantly barking. Um, We do know this. And and, and so what has happened, it's reminded us of our mortality. Right or wrong, Mike? Mm -hmm. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. So that's going to affect the mental state, affects the physical state. But too many people I've known and loved been bad so but when you ask me how i am i'm like you man didn't i tell you in 1977 deep inside we're all the same i said it i meant it Mm -hmm. i was a young man and i said you know you can get all the money and all the fame all the things that we tell ourselves that we must aspire to here in the capitalism uh you know the number one capitalistic society in the world but Ultimately, whatever hole we are all trying to fill, you know, to feel okay, cannot be filled by the things they tell us to, which is why I wrote The Grand Illusion, because we were selling albums and concert tickets. I said, I told the audience, 
we're an illusion. We are an illusion that we create for your entertainment and maybe for your edification if you want to get fancy. But really, we're just you. We, we were looking at, at the bands from the shadow of the 14th row just a few short years ago. It's right there in the lyrics. Yeah. And so we do share a commonality that we're too, we're too quick to dismiss in search of joining belief systems, dogmas, ideologies, groups, coffee clutches, because people like to gather and say, well, you know what the problem is? Them. Yeah. Not us, them. <laughs> and then now it's out of control because social media plays into it. Our, our media itself plays into the, into the idea of dividing people sure. for money. Yeah. And so now when you ask me how I am, I, I am really, I'm really concerned about us in this country and mankind in general. But since I'm an American, I say, how about this human beings? Two things start with this. And I've been saying this recently. I try to say it in my music. I didn't put it in, in, in complete. Uh, I have no fear of um, humanity. Two things. Number one, there's only one rule. It's the golden rule. Try it on for science. Yeah. If everybody follows that, guess what? Things will be better. Do unto others. This does not include masochists. But don't put them in here. But yeah. in general. And number two, I'm begging you, people, a little more humility and a, a lot less hubris. That's what I say. It's okay not to know what's going on because we don't. And the more we try to separate ourselves and, and deny the fact that we are all the same inside through, oh, that one looks different. That one like, believes in that God. This one believes in this politician. That one likes this one, this one. Thin crust pizza, deep dish pizza. I mean, doesn't it nauseate you? Everybody, everybody is has a bone to pick. Yeah. And I just say, go easy. Makes sense. That's how I am. Because I'm in my house stuck. And they have to think too much. This is never good. Go out and do stuff. Then your mind. But this, I've been thinking about it. Because if there's a listener out there who hasn't looked at what's happened in this country in the last couple of years and thought, where was I when this happened? What was I doing when it got like this? Really? Yeah. Come on. Real after real videotapes Christmas Day mornings Kids on first dates so many moments of laughter and tears Too many faces no longer here In a world where everything moves so fast How could we know it was too good to last And year after year the scrap 26 East Volume 2, I feel like there's several songs on here that sound like, and I put this in my notes several times, classic sticks ballad sound, sounds like a stick song, good sticks intro, sounds like it could be on Crystal Ball. 
was this just a product of looking back over your career, knowing that this was probably the last album you were going to do? I think I was the guy in sticks. You were definitely the guy in sticks. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of my solo career had been spent trying to be some guy not in sticks because when I made those solo records, I was waiting for Tommy Shaw to get over his obsession about being a solo artist and get back in the band where he belonged. So I didn't do that stick stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was there in the room when it was invented. Tommy was not. He joined the already determined invention and fit in because he's a great talent. He didn't invent it. He joined it. So in my solo records, you know, there's the, you know, the people who love the wooden nickel records or even the, the great A&M catalog. When I went and I did something different. Purposely, so I wouldn't be robbing that which I felt belonged to the, the word sticks and not to me solely. Sound noble? It was. I said, I'll do something different. Mm-hmm. But when it became apparent, when I made 100 years from now, around 2007, 2009, I, it was clear to me I was no longer in the band. So um, I just said, well, this is, of course, I, can you do that stuff, Dennis? Yeah, of course I can. Mm-hmm. I was there when it was invented and i was kids that was the main inventor so that's a fact you can yeah. you can like it or not like it that is a fact so when i did this record the last two i said i'll do what i damn well please now you see the thing is i made eight albums that were very similar in sticks not identical but a lot of them from six one to pieces of eight had what i like to call prog light mixed with hard rock mixed with you know what i mean and then i you you know when you go like this it's like what i said a cliche what do i have to do now i have to do more of that you you get your you get the point we go i don't know if i've got you know so when it came to these last two oh let's go into the suitcase pulled that oh i did that how did you do that huh i know how to do that and people say, why don't you make a whole album like that? We want another Sticks album. Another Sticks album would require the three of us in the same room. And that ain't happening. I could make a Sticks-like record. But a real Sticks album would take different vocalists, different ideas, all coming under the banner of the Sticks flag. It's not possible. But I think I could make a pretty damn good Sticks-like record. Yeah. That's what I did. But you know what? I just didn't want to do that. I have other interests. I love melody. I'm taking you on a journey because I learned immediately from Elvis Presley after Hound Dog, there was Love Me Tender. I like them both. Sure. You don't. If you only like Hound Dog or Love Me Tender, good for you. Like I said, there's this big, beautiful woman that is music. And there's so many wonderful aspects. I can't just say, Look at her ring finger. It's pretty. Uh, okay. Overwhelming you? No, not really. I'm enjoying okay. listening to you. I'll let you go but <laughs> because I enjoy listening. But uh, I wanted to get to, there's back-to-back songs, Your Saving Grace and Proof of Heaven. And it, it, it begs the question, you know, about your spirituality and are you a spiritual person? And, and where did, were those two songs seated next to each other intentionally? Yes, they were. Baby, 
saving grace. Here's here. There's, there's there is only one question. That's it. Why? That's the only question. Everything is after that. Why are we here? That's it. Everyone has been trying to answer that question. You know, it's yeah. just sprung out of the trees and started talking to each other. Why do you think? I don't know. Why? So this is the question. And if you had to take all the religious people in the world, all the people who follow religion, not necessarily, you know, the monks, wherever they are, high up, getting nosebleeds from the atmosphere, but I'm talking about regular people. If you had had them take a lie detector, they would say this, I hope, but I'm not sure of anything. That would be the truth you'd get out of most people. But there's the facade to be a believer. You have to be a true believer. And... I said it and show me the way in 1990. So every night I say a prayer in the hope that there's a heaven. That's me. You know, and that's you. That's most people. I promise not to tell. Well, maybe just my wife. Please explain the mystery. They call the afterlife. They hope, this is the whole, my hopeful, my hope philosophy for human beings. They latch on to rock stars, movie stars, politicians, religious leaders. Why? They're praying to God that somebody out there knows more than they do because they feel like they don't know enough and they can't figure out what the hell's going on. So they pray that a guy like me has got to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it figured out. I'm you. But I'll write a song <clears throat> to make you think about what I'm thinking. Anybody who says they know, they, they need, they're, they're nuts yeah. or they're lying. Yeah, I think a lot of us are like when you go to a new place for the first time and you're not really sure where it is and you look <laughs> at someone and this guy seems to know where he's going and you just follow along. Because we're scared. People are. People, you know, fear can be positive and negative, but most of us <clears throat> are looking for someone or something to shine the light on the correct path. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. 
the Isle of Misanthrope is the one that's uh, was released as a single. It's been getting a ton of plays on, at least on Spotify. I see that it's got exponentially more plays than the rest of the album. Came out first, obviously. And will we ever learn? All empires built will someday burn when they've lost all concern and they fail. Just to listen and learn No more life No more air Like a ship of fools and rip on the bit of prog light like you were talking about progressive music how much how much influence did progressive music have on you you know when it when it sort of became in vogue in the 70s well we the band actually came together with its first incarnation in 1970 and so you had a keyboard player like me that you know had a degree in music <clears throat> and i thought well this is a way prog allowed keyboard players to exist on a plane that was almost as important as guitar players but you know rock and roll is is really the um it's the realm of guitar playing first and foremost so yeah we um we did that kind of stuff jc and and, and jy more jc and i than jy though jy he liked the prog stuff as well but he is at heart give me a guitar turn up the amp for really loud and let me stomp around the stage he's a hard rock guy that's who he is the next ballad he writes will be the first so these elements came together and we went down that path. Um, but if you listen to Lady, the first minute of it, it's a pop, it's not a prog song. Our first thing that broke us open was, uh, was a, a pop tune that had uh, the uninvited uh, power chords jump in. You know, this all these harmonies. Mm -hmm. um, we were inventing a style at that moment without knowing it, people say, what's the first power ballad? Some have said Lady. Now, I see Lady, to me, a power ballad is something that happened in the 80s. They're kind of turgid. They're romantic love songs where someone's playing power chords and solo, nondescript, behind to make it sound, make a, make a rock band sound like a pop band to make them acceptable to get on radio so you didn't scare the girls. This is what power ballads are. But if, you, if you're doing a power ballad, the subject matter, in my opinion, it's got to be love. It's romantic. That's why um, what's it, uh, Stairway to Heaven is not the first power ballad because it's not about really, it's not a love song. Right. So I think the, the element is romance. And then the rest follows. But what Lady is, was an honest outcome of the people in the room. There's the guy, lady, when you're with me, I'm smiling. There's that guy. And there's the guy with the guitar. Gah, 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 gah. And I went, 
Lady of the morning. Those harmonies I wrote on it. And he just, how about if we go like this underneath? And got it. So that's a rock band entering a pop ballad. That's what it is. Yeah. It's Take funny. You, you went right to that because that was the, that song was actually, I was thinking of it right when you started to talk about it. Yeah, that's what that is. So um, on this last album, I, I, I there's really only one romantic, there's one romantic song. And that's made for each other. Twas on a night like this with Shakespeare in the park, starring Romeo and Juliet. We dreamed upon a kiss on a soft midsummer's night when we swore our love in violet. For centuries to define the meaning of But we could solve this mystery if we told it about our love Cause you and I, we were made for each other Like couplets in a perfect Uh, you know, I've, I've made a lot of money and been very, very successful about musically explain, explaining my relationship with my wife. Been married 51 years. There are people in this world, you see them all the time. They just want to rock. Okay. Here's ACDC. They're never going to trick you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but once again, there's more to life for me than just that. Mm -hmm. So when I do my records, I am going to play to one of my strengths. It's been proven. Google it. Yep. <laughs> Millions of people like those things. And they like, if, let's, let's imagine this. If I was as good at writing rock, rock tunes as I am at constructing ballads, six would be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you went apples to apples, so there's the success and the impact of this song Name it, Lady Bay, Best of Times, right? If it was just a rock song of that popularity, there'd be no question. But this happens to be something, since I'm keyboard and melody-based as a writer, plays into what I do as a strength. So um, you're going to hear some of that stuff on here. Plus, if it's loud all the time, if anything is anything all the time, I'm annoyed. I don't even want to have sex for an hour. I'm sorry. If somebody said, would you like an orgasm for an hour? I go, that's got to hurt. <laughs> Come on, Michael. For Christ's sake. Can I have a little balance? In <laughs> yeah, you, you bring it up that you're a keyboard guy. It's funny because this is a very good guitar record, this uh, volume two. Tell me a little bit about the musicians on this record that played, uh, that played with you. Peterick and I did a lot of stuff. He played bass. He played. He plays all the guitars and bass on "Hello Goodbye." We use Hofner bass. We use the Countryman, uh, uh, Gretsch Countryman. We use the uh, the twelve string, the uh, Rick twelve string. We used Ludwig drums. Everything. Three guys did that song. Ed Breckenfeld, Jim, and me. Uh, he played bass. He played the rhythm guitars. 
Most of the solos are played by, I think Mike Aquino plays the most solos. August plays one. Uh, Jimmy, August is in my band and Jimmy Leahy plays one. And, and they go. And Jim plays one on the end of Proof of Heaven. And then, you know, the great Houdini, Tom Morello, uh, decided to play on The Last Guitar Hero as, after I asked him. So those are the guys playing guitar. The bass is Jim, Jim Majors, who Jim Major, singular, plays on um, Isla Misanthrope. Him and my son are in the same band. So I brought that rhythm section in. And uh, I play synth bass on some of this stuff. But okay. all the keys are me. What else? Who played the Vuvuzela? Nobody. It's not on this record. Um, yeah. That's good. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah you talked about it had to be special for you to have your son on the album i mean uh, you got a son i have a daughter i'd like to work with your daughter on something like that it would be not be that easy would it no it wouldn't be easy but i think it would be uh i think i would look back on it with a great deal of satisfaction afterwards is that where you're at right now boy do i absolutely but famous fathers and their sons it's tricky man my kids have told me what it was like to live with a famous dad. And I had no way of understanding because my dad was Maury the printer. I mean, nobody said, oh, your dad, huh? He, <laughs> he can print. So, um, so my, my son is my LD. He does all my staging and lighting, has for 18 years. And he plays drums. I said, I want you to play the last song. He played it. And he played the grand finale with John Panazzo's ride symbol. That was a gift. He was influenced by John. He just did great, didn't he? He stayed, played, I said, he played it like John. He didn't play it like, you know, where it's all about the drummer. Yeah. You know, here's what I said. Everybody who plays on my records better serve the song or go get your own record deal. This is about songs. This isn't about you showing off unless I tell you you can show off here. If you're just in it, don't do anything that makes the listener. This is my, my view of music. Makes the listener think about something they're not supposed to be thinking about, which is the song and the singer. That's it, baby. Yeah. And so Prague, you know, the, the thing that turned me off finally to just doing Prague stuff is, please. We know you practice for hours in your bedroom and you understand time signatures and key signatures, key changes. And, you know, you write lyrics that nobody understands on the planet. <laughs> OK, fine. OK, we can admire it. But for me, I don't care if I liked King Crimson. It was Court of the Crimson King. 
and it was 21st century schizoid man until they went to eight minutes sounding like they were e eating pizza and getting carry out takeout while they were tuning their instruments i got no you know i have no time for that mm -hmm. 74 i was right life was short <laughs> get the song tell me give me you know what I me mean? out of my long song but god bless yeah retain These my there's no turning back time is another favorite of mine on this record. And you, you bring up, you bring up regrets and it made me wonder, or, you know, with this sounding so, so much like classic sticks is one of those musical, do you have musical regrets? Do you, do you wish you had stayed true to yourself more than trying to distance yourself from the sticks sound like on desert moon and the albums that followed? No, most of my re regrets are personal, not professional. I did nothing to get myself removed from six in 1999 i got sick i got very sick and i you see these sunglasses i still i have light sensitivity from i'm a i'm a long hauler of a virus i got in 1998 that nobody understood because when i went to the doctors three weeks after getting this thing with all these symptoms i said i lost my sense of smell and taste what the hell happened to me and they, they would look like this what they didn't know you hear me they didn't know what to tell me. So now I still, the light, I can't, I can't deal with it. And every year it got worse. So now I'm in, uh, if I'm in my house, I don't have these cells designed to make you think I'm cool. I have mine because my eyes just, they're no good with it. Mm -hmm. So um, what was the question? Just what your regrets were, uh, you know, that you might've no. been talking about in that song. No, I should still, I, I should have been this the last 20 years. Yeah. And no, no, wait a minute. Tommy Shaw shouldn't have quit in 83. Left the biggest band in the country, arguably, to pursue a solo career, leaving the, leaving the four of us standing going, what? He what? He he quit? The four guys, the three guys that remained, J.Y. Janichev, they wanted me to replace him. That's how mad they were. He just get rid of him. I said, wait a minute. Ooh, Nelly. Uh, let him, you know, because I knew fundamentally how that band worked you, you just don't go well let's just replace him we tried it with Burtnick in, in 91 and you know it was, it was, it, 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 we're professionals it was okay but I knew always what the fans wanted they wanted those mooks in the same way I wanted the Beatles on the stage right mm -hmm. I didn't want Rod Stewart to join the Beatles I don't care who it was right I wanted those guys so that's uh, that's that's what happened. So, no, I don't regret anything I did musically. Nothing. Good, good. I want to talk about the the grand finale, the uh, the grand illusion finale. There, you, you you mentioned it lyrically earlier. It kind of ties into the it ties the two twenty six East albums together because you stopped. Uh, you had the the closer on the first one was AD twenty twenty, which goes back to Paradise Theater. Um, obviously intentional what what was the statement there what what were you going for just just to say goodbye and and to leave your final you know your final thoughts when it was going to be one album i knew from the beginning it was going to go so my friends will say goodbye because time is claimed i that's it i said i'm starting you see you have to have an art it starts with the beatles it ends with good night from paradise taxi and then Two, I went, Phew. how am I going to end this one now? I thought, I thought, that's all, folks, would be good. 
you know what? People who like rock music, especially the Prague thing, they're so serious. They don't like rock stars to be funny. Well, that's hard because sticks were, the guys in the band were funny people. John Panazzo, me, all the guys had great senses of humor. So I looked at it and I went, is there a better piece of music than the grand finale for us? I don't think so. Because <laughs> it says everything it needs to say, and it's in two minutes. And it sounds like the closing of the door to me. So I said, we'll do that. And I won't go like this. I won't get cute. I won't say, well, let's do it in Polish. And in three, four time, what a klezmer band. I don't think so. We'll just do it. Okay. Because at that moment, I'm saying that this audience, remember that? That was magic in your opinion. And in my opinion, don't forget. And I say, and deep inside, all the same and it goes up to the high C and there's Matt my son on drums and me singing that's all I need I don't need no more so if you think your life is complete confusion cause your neighbor's got it What'd you well, think when it? I, I thought it was a great way to close both of those albums. Um, when uh, when they when I heard them, I thought this is a great way to close the album. It's a great way to to reflect on just a, a tremendous career that's touched a lot of people. Uh, you know, my you see the shelves behind me. You don't see the shelves over here where all my sticks albums are. But um, it did. It there is an emotional note that it goes out on, especially if you were part of that journey listening to those records when you grew up and i think it's it's uh, it's it's a very nice way to go out and i think that you probably did it the right way looking looking at it the closing the paradise and then coming out with the second album having to come up with something i think you probably couldn't have come up with a better closing statement than that thank you uh that was my intention the album itself volume two it it, it encompasses I think who I have been musically in popular music. And I'm happy with that. You know, when people see my name, there's always the conditioning that happens culturally, society wise about who I am and what I do. Mm -hmm. And someone mentioned recently about the last guitar hero. Did that surprise you? You hear my, my, Mike Morello. Mike Morales is my drummer. Tom Morello playing on there? No, I don't think so. I didn't okay. think it was a surprise. It was to me. I wish you'd have told me. Because <laughs> um, <clears throat> I had no idea it was a Sticks fan. So that's all I tried to do. Just be honest. And I know music is more important than lyrics. Always have been, always will be. 
You can see it anytime you're in a concert with 10,000 people. They'll start the lyric and then, then they go, they know the melody, but some of the words escape them. This is proof positive why music is more important. But the lyrics on this album and volume one. Read the lyrics, try to understand what I'm saying, and then you know me. I'm not hiding. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be cryptic. <clears throat> I try to be as poetic as I can be under the guise of, hey, these things have to rhyme here a little bit and give you a sense of what I think. Because all I ever do is put chords down I like, put notes on them that I like, put words on the notes and, and, and give you my point of view. And I hope you, Michael, will find yourself in my story. Because when I write this music and it's recorded, it goes out. Those songs don't belong to me anymore. They belong to you and everyone else who likes them. Then you make them your own. What's the song that I wrote that you think of that girl, that guy, that moment, that parent, that time? That's what music does. But I, do, I don't know you. So then what you'll do is you make that music yours. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. It's all the music you really cherish. You hear that song, you think, wow, you're connected to a memory. Yeah. How many people have told you over the years that their song was Babe, for example? I mean, lots of people. And more um, than one. <laughs> I, I wish more of them were in my band. Nonetheless, <laughs> uh, look, all that nonsense about style of music and that it's been blown up by my former bandmates after they replaced me in an effort to tell this story. Well, if you didn't like X or Y, we didn't either. And that's why he's no longer in the band. What? We just did 1997. We did these big reunion tours, hugely successful. We're making a brand new album. And I got sick. And then suddenly we're going to relitigate Mr. Roboto from 27 years ago. What did it have to do with anything? Nothing except this. You want to tell this story, Michael? Yeah. The young got sick. We want to go on the road. He's not ready. We're going. Is that a story you want to tell? No, no, it doesn't put anybody in a very good light that's uh, that's wanting to get out. I mean, it's kind of, I think the kind of the same thing happened with Journey with uh, with Steve Perry's hip replacement and all of that. So Different though. Um, Different. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Unique situation. Steve sure. Perry doesn't, he don't want to go. He's made it clear. Dennis DeYoung was going, give me six months. I'm starting to get better. Yeah. Okay. And two guys, not a band. Don't say the word sticks. Don't get in your mind. American public or wherever else this podcast goes. It was three of us left. Chuck retired. He was, he had full blown AIDS. He was trying to save his life. And those two guys were anxious to get on the road because that's where they made their money. Nothing wrong with money. I think it's a good thing. But can you just, and of course, they're going to say, well, we gave them the opportunity. We told them, show up, otherwise we're replacing you. And uh, if you just showed up, I was sick. <laughs> and the fact is, um, they'll also say, well, he could have come. We could have done some shows without him with a replacement. And then he could have come back in. What are you talking about? We've already seen that doesn't work that well. We replaced Tommy. We did okay. People wanted to see Tommy. I was right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I was right. 
people want to see Tommy. Is that, am I genius? No, but I, I, I was on stage watching the audience for 10 years. I think I caught, I caught the drift of it all. So at the risk of sounding like an embittered old fool, I'm telling you, we had a lot of good times together. I don't have those feelings about those guys. And most of the stuff that they say and they've done is to protect their decision. Not because they really feel that way about me. They don't. But when you, when you take a position at the top of your lungs and, and get a certain group of people to follow you, believing that, you're going to you have to pry that baloney from their cold, dead hands. Mm-hmm. So it was not an artistic decision in 1999 that replaced me. It was money and power. Because that's what makes the world go around, baby. Now, yeah. what about what, what else? Okay, so overall, your favorite tracks are well, all over by you already said that. Yeah, yep. Uh, I love the Isle of Misan- Misanthrope, uh, and there's no turning back time. Those are probably the three that stand out the most for me that I that I go back to. But I mean, I don't think there's any real filler on this album. I think that you sound your voice sounds great. I mean, I can't imagine sounding that good at 74. But uh, you know, you 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 sound good. The band sounds good. There's some terrific guitar solos. I mentioned the guitar work on this album. Uh, hey, there's I, some. Hey, say that again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've listened to some of the new songs and stuff that's that Tommy and JY are doing. I know they just want to rock. That's what they claimed, mm-hmm. didn't they? I think you've listened to the mission. Yep. That's your... yep. And I think okay. When is what? That's what I think. And the guitar players on my record, they're pretty good players. Aren't they? I would say so. Yeah. And they're playing stuff so. that you might remember. I gave the guitar. You said it. Hey, go ahead, guitar player. Yeah. Play. <laughs> well, nobody can claim that that Tommy never wanted to do ballads that own Tommy's solo albums because I have some and they have ballads all over them. So Here, let me let me get it. <laughs> Crystal Ball. Have you ever seen the Crystal Ball? Do you follow that Crystal Ball, the way he brought it into the band? Yeah. Wait a minute. I love Tommy Shaw as a musician. He's great. He, he is multi-talented. His strength as a writer, as a performer, he can do anything because he's that good. Mm-hmm. He's natural. But as a songwriter, it's the acoustic guitar and his sense of how he connects to it. Crystal Ball was, that could have been an America song. Crosby Stills. All that other stuff here in Crystal Ball, that was me. And JY, mostly me. I told him, man, you gotta sing Crystal Ball. You gotta sing the title. Okay. And when the band comes crashing in, like the uninvited power chord, that sticks. We just took Tommy Shaw and I said, well, here, we'll make them part of this thing. And I said, when he brought it in, I says, you have to sing this by yourself. Because if there's three people singing, it's so personal to him. That's how we make you a star. Mm-hmm. You go to center mic and you sing that. Boom. All three of us, different. Different song. Renegade, you know the story. You're hip to this. It was just like that crystal ball that you heard. Remember that I... It sounded just like that. It was very sweet. 
Again, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, America, three-part harmonies and minor key this time. I said, Tommy, you got to sing this better yourself. And it's a rock song. I know you could. He's the, I said, what's this like if it's a rock song? He had the Les Paul. About da -dum 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 and the band jumped in. Rock song. Boat on the River. Man in the Wilderness. But they're acoustic songs first. All mm -hmm. of them he brought in, with the exception of uh, Blue Collar Man and um, Too Much Time. Those were not acoustic songs. But that beautiful catalog of songs that people love about Tommy are driven by the acoustic guitar. And there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know the song Count On You by Tommy? Did you ever hear that? Yeah. One? Oh, yeah. What? Okay, so this is my point. It's disingenuous. It was made up to say the guy who wrote Castle Walls and Grand Illusion and Sweet Madam Blue and Born for Adventure and Lorelei, and I could go on, he's just a balladeer. Uh, no. I've had success with those songs. So that's a good thing because man, the bank accounts just blew up. <laughs> Do I sound like I'm like I'm making excuses or I'm just telling you no. what it is? No, no, you're, you're, you know, I think it's important for everybody to be able to tell their own point of view and, and not to have to answer to a point of view that's being put out by somebody else. It's a political statement to cover up the fact that money and power are at the root of everything in life. And that's okay. but. Here's the thing that just crushed me. This beautiful fan base we had, so loyal, blown apart by me being replaced. It has been blown apart. The anger, the vitriol, the hatred, unwarranted for either side that I have absolutely bemoaned from the minute it began and preached to our, our fans to rejoice in the music and not listen to the, the noise. Um, that's hurtful because 96 and 7, we came back. What a joy. Did you ever see those shows? I saw the Return to the Paradise show in, uh, it was an outdoor place uh, in central Ohio. Um, I'm not even yeah. sure if it's there anymore. But yeah, I saw you guys were with Kansas. Miraculous. Tell me it wasn't. Oh, it's a fantastic even... show. It's like when, wow, those guys are not in the Hall of Fame? How does that happen? Okay. Yeah. Don't get me on that thing. <laughs> Don't get me started on the Hall of Fame. <laughs> magic. Those guys together made magic, and that's what I always believed. And my last two albums, I'm just trying to play, pay tribute to what I have done musically and give the fans, you know, one more spit around the block with me. Now, the people, some people want to go with me, you know, Billie Eilish is very good for what she does. You could go over by there. <laughs> Yeah, I think your fans are going to be pretty happy with this one. Uh, if they don't already have it, they should go out and get it. It's out. You can get it in all the normal places, and uh, you can get it in vinyl if you don't mind your your medium degrading, <laughs> deteriorating. You know, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not worried about losing that many hands over that shit because really, guys. And I don't, listen. You know what I think? I'm happy you like it because then you can see the album cover. Now, here's the joke of it. Somebody mentioned, occasionally I'll see this in reviews. I like the record. It's very good. He said, but the album cover, is he trying to be Sinatra? Uh, what is this throwback? They don't even think, they don't even get us Meet the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. So what am I supposed to say to those people? Are, no, what? It's, a, it's the, it, the right people will get it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, a, a comedy. The right people will get the humor in the comedy and, and the right people will get 
the reference from your your album cover which as you said you know it's it's an homage just it's another part of the love letter that you've written to the beatles sue me <laughs> well hopefully that won't happen uh, dennis i've enjoyed this conversation so much i could take it uh, all day but uh, you know i i, I feel I'm already gonna... guilty about taking so much of your time i gotta get the next one right now all right. Well, thank you so much for being on Michael's Record Collection. I uh, appreciate it. And best of luck with uh, 26 East Volume 2. Thank you, my friend. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. So, um, I will be sitting there in my kitchen eating breakfast and and then suddenly I'll go, is it lunchtime? Anyway, um, yeah, I was upstairs. I keep forgetting that uh, I have these Zooms because when you're in your house, you know, you're, you, nobody, nobody, you live alone? Uh, no, I have a family. Yeah, they don't think you're working. No, they don't. If you're in your house, so people constantly go, do you see what I'm trying? I'm actually doing something. So, how exactly. are you? What's your name? Uh, Michael. Michael. It's yep. a pleasure to meet you. Where do you live? You sound I, I, I'm in Orlando, Florida. Oh, you're not from there, though. No, I'm from Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I was born in New Jersey. Told you. Told you. I heard that Midwestern accent. Yep. Not Ohio by Cincinnati. That's different.